can't believe i watched greenland and i could have like watched this twice <laughs> i think it's this is an incredibly moving film and to to val like when he's reading moby dick to the chap that's gone blind i think that that scene is incredible and Duval is just doing so much by just trying to be as good as possible uh, and like that can just be the most heartbreaking thing but he sells that moment so well and it's so understated but authentic and true to his experience it's very very moving and you know just to go back to slating Michael Bay for a second so much more moving than having the power ballad moment hey everybody welcome to this episode of Flicks Watcher Podcast today I'm joined by Jake Hello! Michael. Hello. Helen. Hello. And we are going deep, impacting. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, thanks for joining us today. Remotely we have Jake and Michael with us. If you could please say hello and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do please. Yes, so I'm Michael Leader and my beautiful assistant is Jake mm-hmm. Cunningham. Although assistant, I mean Jake, that's overselling your contributions to the projects we do together. We are both oh. the hosts of Ghibliotech, a oh, podcast all about the films of Studio Ghibli, uh, where I do all the work and Jake's along for the ride. Is that right, Jake? <laughs> is that because you know about, well, beforehand you knew about Studio Ghibli and Jake knew nothing? So, I mean, yes, of course. I mean, he'd seen Spirited Away, but I mean, that's He'd watched half of Spirited Away on his phone, I think, is your origin story, (laughs) isn't it, Jake? I'm sorry, it's all coming out now. I'm embarrassing you in front of all all these listeners here. Uh, But yes, way back when, we've we've worked together uh, for a few years, and across the desk in the office one day, I was wanging on about Studio Ghibli. I'm a huge fan of theirs, been watching their films for years. And it came came up that Jake hadn't watched at least many of the films. And uh, we started a whole conversation and a colleague said, this should be a podcast. And a podcast was born. And when we have people from other podcasts that are based on film, they rarely ever bring their homework, their, their, their chosen subject into, into discussion here. Netflix has got all the Studio Ghibli films apart from like one or two. Mm-hmm. Why don't you pick a Studio Ghibli film? Busman's Holiday, isn't it? Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> fine. That's fine. Seen them all now, hasn't he? Yeah, but we're trying to get people, these guys have got a book to sell. Um, sorry, tell us about your book. <laughs> well, yeah, Michael said that he does all the work and I don't really do anything. Um, I mean, I did write at least 50% of a book about Studio Ghibli. So I think since that intervening years of uh, not having seen any of them to actually watching them and watching them enough times to write a book about them, I think I've kind of gone a little bit from maybe like, nursery up to at least maybe the end of secondary school level of Ghibli so, knowledge. Do you not think you can submit it as a PhD thesis? Oh God, no, no, no I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't deal with that. I mean, you don't writing want to the, yeah, writing this was hard enough. I don't know if I've got any more words to go about Studio Ghibli. Um, well, well when, when's the book coming out guys? So you guys, 
as we as we release this episode, it's coming out second of September, is it? Second mm-hmm. of September, yeah, yeah, out in the UK then, um, and it's out in the US a couple of weeks later, uh, okay. and in other territories, there's translations out in uh, Russian, Korean, French, uh, What's that like? Spanish. Very strange because <laughs> um, the title of the podcast is a pun, so it's trying to see these other languages try and force this pun into the language. It's quite fun. Um, How do you pick which languages you choose? We didn't. So this okay. is our publisher. Um, kind of arranged all these deals, um, and it's it's quite entertaining to see these uh, just popping up around the world. Yeah. So with the Spanish edition, so Ghibliotech is spelt like Bibliotech, so T H E Q U E at the end. So a bit of a French mm. pun. But for the Spanish edition, they they just changed it to Ghibliotheca. So literally, you're going for Ghibliotheca in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So it'd be amazing to see how that works out in languages where it's not tech or teca. <laughs> bibliotheca works in, in most European languages. Bibliotheca is or teca of that kind of form is library, isn't it? So for Europe, it, it tends to kind of scan, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah. R- Russian's I'm looking the one. The, the Cyrillic one will be very good. <laughs> yeah. Cyrillic, the Greek. Thai, yeah, man, awesome, awesome. Well, Jake's been on there before, you know the rules. You've got 60 seconds to tell us about the film you've chosen, and the film you've chosen is Deep Impact. Can you tell us why you chose it, first of all, and then I'll get the timer up, and then you'll have 60 seconds to give the synopsis. Uh, Yep, I picked Deep Impact because it's uh, possibly the last great blockbuster of the uh, 20th century, Okay, and and is uh, (laughs) unfairly maligned and sits in the shadow of Armageddon uh, for no reason, and uh, is perhaps a perfect film. So Deep Impact follows an ensemble cast uh, as they deal with an asteroid that's colliding or on a collision course with Earth. You've got Elijah Wood, who is a youthful astronomer, who uh, discovers this asteroid. You've got Morgan Freeman as the president, who has to deal with the logistics of uh, facing this asteroid. You've got Robert Duvall and the crew of a spaceship who are tasked with going to the asteroid to try and blow it up. And you've got Tia Leone as a reporter who has been covering the story of the asteroid heading to Earth from its discovery to its ultimate deep impact. Uh, and along the way, thanks, mate. Um, <laughs> and uh, along the way, there are trials, there are tribulations, there is a substantial amount of failure, uh, which I absolutely love. And there's a fantastic story by James Horner. So you say you stole that by saying it's a perfect film, mm. the best film, best blockbuster of the of the pre-noughties. Well, there you go. There's your timer, um, Michael. What, what what are your initial thoughts on on Deep Impact? I mean, that's quite a quite a claim to make jake i think the year 1999 for many people one of the best years for hollywood cinema would have something to say about you phantom saying. menace yeah this We've comes got... in under the wire everyone else had an extra year this one did it one year early i do know what you mean jake this is a the sort of film we don't really get anymore told at a scale with an ensemble cast with an intelligence and an emotional intelligence that we don't really get to see much so i can i can understand that i think it does have um, flaws the size of Manhattan, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is luckily the same size as a as a meteor that's coming towards absolutely towards Earth. <laughs> yeah, um, but we don't need to look at those flaws, you know. Um, who cares whether the Russian astronaut has any family at home that we need to speak to, as well as all of the Americans? It doesn't matter. Uh, the rest of the film is superb. Helen, what, what you, where, do you, where do you lie on Deep Impact? So. Apart from it having uh, three ER members in, which is always a uh, great, great moment for any film for me to see, um, I really love it. 
And it is, yes. it was so overshadowed by Armageddon and people treated it so unfairly that revisiting again, it's, it's just got something about it. And I love that there's a lot of failure in it. And I also kind of love the whole thing, like, and other countries are going to do similar things, uh, sort of like, <laughs> you know, this is just going to happen here and the other countries will have their other caves. And well, M- Mimi Leader wanted, to, the director wanted to show those other countries, but they just didn't have the budget to do it. That's a cop-out excuse, right? <laughs> I like to think, re-watching this last night, that somewhere, I mean, America gets Morgan Freeman as the most perfect president. And somewhere mm. there's probably Rick Mayle as Boris Johnson alike saying, maybe we could just let, let the comic come and take it on the chin. <laughs> <laughs> That's the British approach to Deep Impact. So it's probably a good thing we didn't see that. I think so. I think so. But I think the um, sort of the importance placed on floppy disks is greatly overrated. Who knew, hey, that they they uh, weren't going to be that important in the future? And classic classic nineties internet on screen is always a delight to see for me. So uh, yeah, it just didn't have a song, did it? Maybe that was it. Maybe that's what it was missing. Well, let's talk about, obviously, whenever you talk about Deep Impact, you, you think Armageddon and, and vice versa. Where are we in the Deep Impact versus, should we do a quick straw poll, Deep Impact versus Armageddon, assuming we've seen them both. So, Helen, you, you're saying Deep Impact over Armageddon? I think so, but I do like Armageddon for completely different reasons, mostly because it's completely ridiculous and I like the song. <laughs> uh, Jake? Oh, Deep Impact for sure. Um, just to p- point out, there were, you know, the Criterion Collection, like mm. the kind of absolute highest bar of c- cinephile of libraries. Uh, they entered two Michael Bay films into the Criterion Collection, one of which was Armageddon, before they entered a film with a female director. Oh, really? That's, that's you know, you, you taught high bar and then you, it was a rug pull then, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, Michael? I, yeah, I'll place Deep Impact ahead of Armageddon. Again, as, as Helen said, they're ticking very different boxes, although they do have some sequences that are very similar, particularly family members watching their other family members blow themselves up on a comet and their hand being on a TV of static. Um, but the way that Deep Impact really wants to go for a different sort of more serious emotion rather than the mm. melodramatic, bombastic emotion of um, you know Steven Tyler wailing away in the background of Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a clean sweep. I've only seen each of them once beforehand. This is my second time watching Deep Impact. I'm not really interested in watching Armageddon again because I remember it just being a bit stupid, uh, generally. And is. this is... Whereas Deep Impact is like a documentary. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly as it would happen. They've, they've consulted all of NASA's like scientists to work out what, the, what they would do with an asteroid. Um, yeah, I just, I just like it a bit more. I like the actors more compared to Armageddon, although Bruce Willis is always be one of the greatest, but also at the same time is a bit of a tit sometimes. Um, <laughs> but here you've got Robert Duvall, Morgan Freeman, usurps anyone on there. I love an early John Favreau, which is hilarious. Mary McCormack, um, who's from, from the West Wing, first time seeing her outside of the West Wing. Uh, Elijah Wood, probably the first time I saw him. Um, and Tia Leone, which in this, I thought she was perhaps the worst thing in it to be honest with you yeah so this Uh, is something i'm keen to ask the the room on because i think she mm. is 
the the not just the weak link, the weakest link. And mm. um, she has a pretty hard role to play. So Jake, I'm sure I, I beat you to it to use the word Spielbergian here. So having a main character who's like sort of hope and dreams before the world ends is to get her parents back together or to build bridges with with you know as a child of divorce. That's a very Spielbergian sort of character trait. And Tia Leone has to have that turn of being the cynical wannabe TV anchor but then go on that journey where we have to really start to feel for her and her, her pain by the end and I just find that there was a point in the mid late 90s where I think Tia Leone and David Duchovny were in a couple weren't they and it was just mm. the least emotive couple in in, in showbiz land <laughs> and I don't think her, I don't think she really stands up if it was someone like I don't know if it was 10 years before and it was Holly Hunter, if it was maybe 10 years later, and I don't know who else would play that role really well. Rachel McAdams, I don't know. The, Greta, I, throw, throw Greta in there. Oh, wow, yeah. I can think of so many other actors that would have worked well, but maybe circa 1998, there wasn't just the right one. It's kind of, because it's interesting when certain actors and actresses have their moments in the sun and they're everywhere for a bit and then they kind of fade away. And I, I had Bad Boys, she had... I think she's in quite a few other things at times. So her her son was generally on descendants, but then it, it has faded. And when I look at this, I'm thinking, well, I can see why. I, I think like the the role is it it purposely is quite a cold role because I think this is Mimi Leader tackling something that she's obviously interested in when you get mm. to a film like On the Basis of Sex, where it's like uh, the female role in the workplace and the way that you have to kind of remove emotion to approach uh, kind of graduating through the like patriarchal structure of something like a news network and Tia Leone I think can handle that side of it but as you say Michael when it gets to the back end of it and she needs to sell that hugging your father and saying a wistful daddy in the uh, face of a giant tidal wave that's the element she can't sell but I think she can sell the newsroom stuff. I wasn't even talking about newsroom stuff, but I don't know, Helen, are we are we spending too much time on Tia Leone when there's other people to talk about? No, I mean, it's a fairly meaty role. I mean, there's probably a reason why we're not still talking about her now is that she just isn't that great. Um, I mean, we can jump to some other performances <laughs> I mean, I, because there, I, are, I, like, there are so many good ones. I love I love Laura Innes and I think she's great in this, even just like the bits she's on screen when she's next to Tia Leone. She's just different. Mm. And it's, it's it's that kind of thing where you're just like, yeah, there is a reason why, you know, some people are around and then suddenly they're not. But yeah, it's it's always fun watching Elijah Wood's earlier outings when he's so wide-eyed and young and fresh-faced and later on he's still so wide-eyed and <laughs> fresh-faced. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's, it's Morgan Freeman as the president and there's the bit of trivia how... He apparently he wanted like to have a pierced ear or something um, to show that he was kind of like a regular man, which was kind of like, no, we're not going to do that. But like there's a scene where he's got like tattoos to show he's kind of like a regular dude. And I kind of like mm. those little bits about it. But yeah, for me, I think it is. You just trust him as your president, wouldn't you? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I, I think there are like there's little details in his performance, which like so this is the second time that I've watched the film in lockdown. And I, re I really love it. And I get something out of it each time. And this time noticing little things that Freeman's doing, like when he's got to do the press conference where he reveals to the world what's about to happen. As he's stepping up to the plate and the studio director or the press room director says 10 seconds, Freeman just kind of looks up at him, gives him a little smile and a nod 
uh, and just thanks him just for that little role of directing him to the podium. And it, it's like a blink and you miss it thing. But like when you watch the rest of the performance, it's full of little things like that, that like this kind of humanity that he's bringing to it. Because like there's so many presidential roles and presidential roles that F Freeman himself has played where there is nothing to the character beyond being the president. But you actually get a sense of this man beyond the role that he has to play. Elijah Wood's character, who gets a comment named after him in part, what do you make of that kind of storyline with the his his sweetheart piece? Oh, it's lovely. Isn't it's it? lovely, right? It's so that's probably if I could. I don't know. So there are basically three main plot threads, right? There's Taylor Leone and the president. There's what's happening in DC. There's what's happening in space with Bob Duvall, John Favreau, etc. And then there's what's happening in suburban Americana with uh, with, with Elijah Wood and Co. And I almost feel like that could have been a standalone movie if, if Steven Spielberg was making this, or if J.J. Abrams was ripping off Steven Spielberg and making something like Super 8, it would be really cool to have <laughs> one of those suburban kids on choppers drive, you know, riding around, tooling around at night, latchkey kids. Uh, um, yeah, that, that um, rise to infamy of having the comet that's going to destroy the Earth named after you. <laughs> they could have done so much with that if they wanted to. But yeah... It, you, you, you say, Kobe, about uh, the fact that we've not chosen a Studio Ghibli film. My favourite Studio Ghibli film, Whisper of the Heart, is a sort of teen romance where at the end they were searching for some way to end this romance on a high. And they just, uh, the two characters declare love, their love for each other and say, one day we're going to get married. And it just suddenly go out of nowhere, takes on this dimension. And I guess, yeah, kids, kids can do that. Maybe if a comet was coming to Earth and you wanted to save your, your loved one you will just randomly get married. Although my partner, when we were watching it at that point, did suddenly say, even though everything with the comet's happening, she kind of says, that's a bit far-fetched. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was kind of thinking. I just thought, it's a bit much. Especially <laughs> no, for me, it, it was a bit of the motorbike sense. where he screams past them at 128 miles per hour, but she calls back, Elijah Wood. I can't remember what the character's name is. Um, and he stops, takes off his helmet and like, oh, there you are. I've searched for you for literally two minutes. Um, Maybe that's that's just me being uh, unmorkish. <laughs> but but, so it, out of all the story strands, that was the one that had the most left on the cutting room floor. So there is a, a three-hour version of Deep Impact that gets us a lot more Leo Biederman action. But uh, I'm I'm happy with the level that we get um, because I, I, I think we're gonna, I thought we we're going to call for the release the Mimi Ladder cut or the, I would, the I would, Elijah Wood cut. I would love to see it, um, but but actually. Maybe I wouldn't, because I think what's what's great about this film is the pace of it as well. Mm. Like, it does it all in two hours. And I think if this were to be made now, this would definitely be kind of in your 230, 240 zone. Yeah. yeah, and it, it zips through it. And it got me, since the last time I watched the film, it got me thinking of, like, the way that we kind of just very much adjusted to the way of the world as the kind of pandemic uh, unfolded over the last 18 months and you look back like within the space of weeks how things change so quickly and yeah. how deep impact as it makes these time jumps like 18 months later and we know about the asteroid and then five months later and there's like detritus on the streets and everyone going under this hole um in the ground and it doesn't do like a massive kind of warp time effect thing transition to get people there it's very casual and it made me feel like when we were watching the news and like the way that these massive new events just suddenly mm. became kind of pretty easy to take in because we just 
became so kind of less sensitive to it. And I thought like, yeah, this actually kind of feels like if this were to unfold, this is gradually how it would feel, that it would just seem so casual. I get that. Where are we, guys, on, before, we, before we head to the scores? Uh, disaster movies in general, what your thoughts, interests, dislikes? Uh, I would say that probably a reason that I'm quite attached to the film is that when I was uh, very, very young, I had the big book of disasters published by Dorling Kindersley, and I loved it. Uh, and I just obsessively read about massive disasters. Uh, and so, uh, have you been watching Loki? Uh, yeah, I have been watching Loki. Yeah, people could probably hide in the uh, in, well, was, yeah. in demon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, if you haven't been watching Loki, that's uh, really sad. Um, is this the pinnacle of disaster movies, Helen? Michael, Helen, what do you think? Well, I was watching this, and then I was thinking, oh. God, I can't believe I watched Greenland and I could have like watched this twice in the space of watching that. Um, yeah, I mean, we're still making them. I don't know whether we're making anything particularly better than this, maybe. Mm-hmm. There was kind of an era, wasn't there, the 70s, which were kind of peak disasters. And then somewhere around the 90s, we started remaking all of those 70s films. I think watching this, I was kind of like thinking, this is sort of a little bit like climate change. We had a warning and kind of you know various like half-brained ideas about like blasting the meteor out of space with a rocket it's like well there's kind of a lot of uh, weird climatey change sort of solutions like blasting rockets into space to explode carbon dioxide and stuff like this loads of very 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 weird uh reasons to sorry sort of ways out of climate change other than like stopping consumption cars etc etc so there's kind of like some not maybe if they remade this, but maybe I think there's definitely more of a climate change disaster movie perhaps in the pipelines, which may or may not shift public kind of opinion. Because I think for a while people were a bit like, mm, this, Armageddon, are the things in space that are going to come down and wipe us out because it feels like there could be from these two films. Yeah, so I, um, those kind of vibes I got from it. I might not call this the peak of the genre, Kobe, which is sort of what you asked, but this is the sort of disaster movie I'd like to see more of. It feels that 96 to 98, you had films like Independence Day, Armageddon mm-hmm. and this, and they, they whether whether it was Mimi Lida, who was kind of looking back to the 1970s, looking back to Spielberg and a sort of emotional undercurrent, philosophical undercurrent of if a comet's going to hit, you know, there's that great speech that Morgan Freeman gives about some of you will really feel like this existential dread because of this. But but they went with the Roland Emmerich, Michael Bay approach and you get Day After Tomorrow, 2012, Greenland, etc. There's only really one sort of um, disaster-ish movie really that I'd point to that works like this and that's Contagion. And there's also in industry factors, I suppose. This sort of film doesn't exist. It's only $80 million. I know it's quite a lot in 1998 money, but it still is the high end of, or the low end of high budget or the high end of mid-budget that won't exist in a few years after this when the franchises take over. Most of, the, as Helen pointed out, most of these actors go to telly and you lose a lot of these, well, you don't lose these character actors. They then go and have great multi-season arcs on something like ER or you get Duck from Mad Men here who's only in for like a couple of like brief scenes so yeah yeah Mad Men West Wing Richard Schiff in this from West Wing absolutely you said them. so it feels said, um, like ER. not just the end it, you know it's on the cusp of something and you 
era of cinema, but also the end of a sort of era of what we what we came to the movies for as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I quite like Greenland, particularly for the fact you followed one family all the way through this thing, and is that kind of the emotional beats and the ups and downs in the way that the best kind of zombie moves for me are when you see the impact it has on on the family or a small group of people rather than the whole world being taken over by zombies. So yeah, I did, I, I did really take that and see how the world, world can collapse. Because Jake was talking about how people within the space of like 18 years, within 18 years, 18 months within Deep Impact, you get to used to Morgan Freeman appearing on the TV every day and telling us, okay, the, the meteor is still approaching. But I'm sure the first day, it was mayhem when he announced that in, in places, which which is what which was the story that Greenland tells. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the family stuff, Kobe, because I think something that's like kind of going on in the background throughout the film and is never the center of attention is just the kind of role of children in all of this. Like they are just totally present all the time. Um, like within the newsroom, there's a crash, mm-hmm. and the fact that like yeah. you've got within a within a media building a crash for kind of people to bring their kids to work. I mean, that would be progressive now yeah. <laughs> to have that kind of thing in place. And so you've always got these kids ever present. Even Elijah Wood uh, at the end, he gets given a baby, and that's it. so you kind of feel this kind of weight of kind of the next generation throughout the film in everyone's uh, story, and like it's not like in the Joss Whedon Justice League, where you have to cut back to the same family that you don't really know a few times every scene just to remind everyone that there's a threat to the youth. Like, this is just, like, it is absolutely baked into almost every moment of it. Like, you feel that threat uh, across so many people. No, and and for me, there are a couple of big cry moments when the Messiah is signing off. But for me, we've not really mentioned Robert Duvall, but he is one of the most engaging actors who can do so much with so little... And mm. it's, you know, you say, Jake, it sells these relationships when he says, you know, I'm, I'm coming home to his wife, who is a character mm-hmm. died years before the film even starts, narrative wise. But he sells that moment so well. And it's so understated, but authentic and true to his experience. It's very, very moving. And, you know, just to go back to slating Michael Bay for a second, so much more moving than having the power ballad moments at the same, same time. <laughs> I think it's... This is an incredibly moving film. And du- Duval, like when he's reading Moby Dick to the chap that's gone blind, I think mm. that that scene is incredible. And Duval is just doing so much by just trying to be as good as possible. Uh, and like that can just be the most heartbreaking thing. And, and Duval's it, great. We, we had him recently on Falling Down, yeah. where he's the counterpoint to Michael Michael Douglas. And it's one of those things where Michael Douglas' character in that is obviously what everyone remembers, but without the way that Robert Duvall plays Pendergast, it all falls down. Ah, I didn't mean to go like that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, the, the film wouldn't work at all with that counterpoint and, and the way that Duvall plays it. But I think, guys, it's time to head to the scores unless you have anything else to say. Or we can, we'll obviously carry on talking about stuff when we head to the scores anyway. Hello folks, I'm Sam. And I'm Martin. And every week for the last five years, we've got together to talk about the musician Tom Waits. He's a gravelly voice singer that sounded like he doused his vocal cords in bourbon and set fire to them with a cigarette (laughs) and wrote such classic songs as Way Down in the Hole, Downtown Train, Jersey Girl. Uh, He's also the gravelly voiced actor from films such as The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Seven Psychopaths, both of which coincidentally are on Netflix and both of which Kobe and Helen have discussed here on Flix Watcher. 
So make sure you check those episodes out. And when you have a little bit of a taste for the magic that is Tom Waits, why not head over to songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice to listen to a little bit more about Tom Waits. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. All of our scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we'll start with you, please, Jake, with your recommendability. Oh, for sure. It's it's a five. Um, <laughs> if you hadn't gathered that from the intro, I, I love this film. So, um, yeah, I, I would heartily recommend it. You last came on for Hard Eight and 20th Century Women, wasn't it? So just, just as a, if you like Jake's voice and you want to hear more Flixwatcher, then head to hard eight and 20th century women for um for other episodes of of, of his ilk please do uh and i recommend both of those films as well <laughs> uh michael recommend i'd give this a four only because this is uh, as we sort of said there are some threads and some characters within those threads of this film that aren't immediately engaging i have a feeling that some uh, some people i recommend this to may struggle with tia leone but i think it's they'll be won over by the end if they do stick through it so i'll say four out of five helen uh, you can have decimal places by the way uh Michael. i think jake and i are purists in terms of uh not having half stars i don't even i don't even half star michael's a half star i can't i can't do it you know i never helen. really used to be but you know the years have taken its toll on him so sometimes <laughs> certain numbers are just what it is uh, with that, I'm going to give this 4.7. Uh, I do highly recommend it, but I may struggle to recommend it to people who maybe are a little bit like 90s films, look a bit kind of shoddy. And it, yeah, there's, there's a couple of bits in it that maybe aren't that really- as kind of like punchy or as big on the kind of effects that people want and some people just might not buy like the emotion over the kind of action so that's kind of the caveat that it is kind of an action film but it's very much more on that's the external and kind of what we're focusing on is the relationships between people and how they kind of deal with that so it's kind of like more of a head and heart rather than kind of like balls and rocks exploding so so helen you're saying it's an art house film. <laughs> i mean it, it, it could have could be yes and you're saying somewhere on helen that you like the computer graphics for example or the, the obsession with graphics in the 90s kind of makes it shit <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I kind of i like it? that because i find it very sweet that it was oh, a way on, to put the- it on screen but it, it does take you out of the moment mm. and back into because there's some scenes that like in google searching like Jurassic- <laughs> Like Jurassic Park, like, like I, I, Jurassic Park, and also um, like Disclosure, where what you see on screen just already, even when watching Jurassic Park at like twelve years old, I thought that that's not good. <laughs> and you've got real, you've got like dinosaurs which, which look real, but then on a computer screen, uh, it's nah. the sort of thing that if yeah. you're in the wrong sort of mood or the wrong, you know, not really on its wavelength, you could just laugh and and probably yeah. not stop laughing. <laughs> considering, and this is, I think, the one. Um, bad judgment call 
is when the scientist is uh, driving down after leaving his pizza at the telescope and he, um, he and, and he drives off the cliff and just explodes in the most ridiculous over-the-top explosion. There's a, yeah. there, if, if you don't know what's going to come, it, it, by that point it could lapse into parody. And if you're not in the right frame of mind and you you think that disaster movies are all silly and over-the-top. So... I'm gonna give a I'm gonna give a straight four here. I, I I think maybe I just don't like disaster movies that much, but I did like this. Um, so yeah, that's that's a nice place to start for the rest of these. Jake, repeat viewing score. You said twice already in the last year, so I'm guessing this is going to be quite high. Yeah, um, as I said about the like Morgan Freeman stuff, um, like you pick out little bits from it. I didn't really, I wasn't as aware of the stuff about the children in the background throughout um, until this rewatch. And I'm, I'm a um, fan of Mimi Leader's work on TV as well. Like she did some incredible stuff with The Leftovers. And I think... Um, that's, that's, that's top of my list to watch. Now it's, it's now available on Now TV, The Leftovers and Sky. So it's... And, yeah, you, you watch The Leftovers and you watch this as a great companion because I think mm. ultimately she is not interested that much in the impact of the comet as you said helen like this is an action film that's focused on emotion when you actually see the shots of the comet in the sky it's actually quite peaceful like it doesn't do fake sound effect it kind of looks kind of ethereal it's relatively calm this is very much about the people um and so like the leftovers similarly to how we have like a few a tiny percentage of the people have to go into the mine and like what might be the repercussions if you only have a small percentage of people survive from a event like this the leftovers is about what if two percent of the entire global population just disappeared one day and what the people do in the face of a very 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 obvious uh sign of their mortality and uh kind of a physical manifestation of death and uh <laughs> then they have to deal with it and it's brilliant and it's and it's not about the drama of the event it's about the kind of events surrounding it and how people have to face it uh it's fantastic and yeah really great companion to this give us a number on that oh um 5 <laughs> <laughs> michael okay rewatchability we're on aren't we so I, this yeah. is th- yeah. this is not really a film to immediately put on again at the end as a credits roll. I think for me that would be um, a key ingredient to the five. So I might have to go four for this again. It is a film I might not watch it twice during lockdown, Jake. That's pretty heroic because it is, does take you on quite an emotional <laughs> journey by the end. But it is a film where those those performances, the best performances, are so have such fine. Kind of details to them, and you know, it's the sort of thing where maybe I miss Robert Duvall. I just want a nice little sort of father figure type speech. I want him to put out the audiobook of Moby Dick, and that, I'd happily listen to that every night for however long that would take. So I'd, I'd say four. So this is, I think this is only my second time watching it, which I think is a shame. I would have liked to have gone back at least another another go on that. Um, it is two hours, so I'm not in an immediate rush, but um, I would definitely leave less time between the first watch and the second watch. So three point five. Yeah, I'm going to go for I'm going to go for two point eight here. I don't think I'll be rushing back to it. Um, I will revisit it again over Armageddon certainly. But yeah, I, like I said, it's, maybe I'm just not that big a fan of these disaster films. Uh, I think I should. I need to watch. I need to rewatch Contagion. But when when that became like top film ever on iTunes as a result of the pandemic, I thought I don't. I don't want to be a part of that. But maybe now there's a bit more. Bit more. 
semblance of normality coming back, the contagion might be worth a visit. I think this is quite a good pandemic watch because the uh, when I watched it the last time in the pandemic, I realised that actually a lot of the threat in the film is about a giant second wave. <laughs> Great. Small screen score, Jake. Well, I, I can't give that a five because I wish I could see this at the cinema. Um, I... It, it keeps those kind of destructive scenes down to a minimum, but when they come, they are quite amazing. Um, particularly this kind of wide angle shot of all of the skyscrapers in New York getting wiped away. Mm. Um, and so I do, I do wish I had the opportunity to see that on the big screen. I think James Horner's score is amazing as well, which I would have heard, love to have heard that kind of twinkly piano sound nice and loud. Um, so I'll give it a three. Michael. Yes, I'd give that a three as well. Fortunately, it wasn't the right age to have seen this on the big sc- on the big screen. And there, you know, as 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 Jake said, the CG sequences of destruction are the sort of thing that I would like to have seen big, but also are quite only quite short. But what it, what I would like to see washing over me on the big screen is some some of those performances. You have you know, between Duvall and Morgan Freeman, they are actors who. Uh, yeah, they are, they know how to work the camera. They can do so much with so mm. you know these little details, and seeing that on the biggest screen possible would be fantastic. And yeah, watching this at home on the telly, I really need to upgrade at some point or get some speakers for. You just upgraded your house. You... I know. Yeah, so that's going to be even further in the future. Now I'm not going to have any of that money soon. <laughs> there is so James Horner has I think two big themes in this. There's the one which is a big brassy, a bit more brassy theme. There's one which is a really beautiful little tinkly piano motif that is really beautiful. Mm. But when you're watching it on your sort of slightly past its sell by date telly in the living room, um, it gets lost a bit. So yeah, three. Helen. I've never seen it in cinema. I think our cinema was like closed for a year or so when this came out. So there was no cinema watching for these years. And I've only ever seen it on kind of TV size. I'm, I don't know whether, if it was on at the Prince Charles and I walked past, would I go in? Maybe not. So... I don't know, I d- because I don't think the draw is the kind of the bigger effects. I'm quite happy with my TV size. So I'm, I'm going to give it a five for small screen, I think. Whoa, heavy. Um, I'm going to give it a, a four because I, I'd like to have seen it on the big screen, but in 1999, I think if I was it now on the big screen, I would. There would be things that take me out of it too much. So yeah, if we can time travel and big screen, then yeah. <laughs> but we can't do that. So it takes, takes it down a point. Uh, engagement score, Jake. Oh. I think it like is that like if you latch onto those performances and you you vibe with them, then uh, I think it's solid. But yeah, if I think I am, um, I'm actually absolutely fine with the Tilliani stuff. Um, but I can see how people might not be. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it gets straight to your heart in the kind of last half an hour. There's so much stuff that can grab you. Um, and so I'd give it a four. Michael? I, f- I feel so bad for being the uh, the tail Aoni uh, attacker. I, um, I was a catalyst behind that. So. But, I, but, but, but I think if you if I can almost rank the engagement score for the three strands, I think five out of five for both, you know, uh, for both the suburban and the space strands, but probably a three or even maybe a two for Taya Leone, she's just not for me an engaging actress. So that probably... But her dad is... Her really, dad, really? who's a, this this Austrian-German yeah. actor who hasn't really been in that much. He kind of looks like Tony Erdman. Yeah. Uh, I thought that. Like, he's brilliant. Well, and Vanessa Redgrave to... as well. She is good. Yeah. Were we supposed um, to have a Tony Erdman 
English version by now. I would say that's a massive sidetrack. Yeah, it was going to be Jack Nicholson was going to come out of retirement yeah. to do it. Well, um, we were saved there. Helen. It's a tricky one because it's not kind of like edge of your seat, fast-paced thriller. And at the same time, it's, it's not unengaging either. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm a solid four. The thing is that it's surprising in that when the failures do happen or, you know, kind of when... It's a bit like actually, you know, it is going to hit, and what we're going to see. That's that's. It's different to like having to be gripped to the screen. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned the failures, Helen, because that's something that I really love about the film. Like uh, all the other points in so many other films, where it would be like the climax and the big finale or the last battle or something. Once again, Morgan Freeman has to go up <laughs> to the microphone and say, "And that didn't work." Uh, or Elijah Wood's plan about getting married and then get him on the bus. And uh, that didn't work either. And it's just a film constantly about failure. It's fantastic. <laughs> Michael, what was your engagement score again? <laughs> so I I think I had to average out five, five and two. So is that that averages out as a three? Yep. Or a four? How, what, how does, how five, does maths five, three, work? 12 divided by, 12 divided by three <laughs> is four. Four. And your score, sorry, Helen? Four. Uh, let's go for four. I think this is quite nice where you don't really have to pay attention all the time. Um, this is kind of, you'd be on the sofa and when something kind of dies down a bit, Tia Leona comes screen, you can second screen a bit and, you know, add to your Ricardo shop. Um, oh, it's it's such a second screen film because you spend the whole time just trying to look people up on IMDb because <laughs> everyone's so What's familiar. their name again? <laughs> Richard yeah, Schiff. Exactly. <laughs> and I've just done a whole rewatch of West Wing and I couldn't remember his name. But was, Richard Schiff is Elijah Wood's dad. Brilliant. Uh, and this, we have no real score of exactly four. Four point zero 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 zero. So, so you've taken you've taken my no decimal points to heart there. If you. I appreciate that, um, guys. Solid four. Let's head to Twitter and to get those guys. If you're listening to us for the first time or you've listened to us for a while and you haven't found us on Twitter, we are at FlixWatcherPod. And do follow us because we do put out a tweet asking for your thoughts and opinions before we go into reviewing. So look out for tweets similar to we're reviewing Deep Impact with Jake Cunningham and Michael J. Leader from Ghibliotech. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts and the score out of five stars for an on-air shout-out on FlixWatcher. Um, and we, we only had one response today. We had one response today, I should say, positively. Um, Jake, as it was your choice. Yeah, we got David Marples. He said he felt it was somewhat overshadowed by Armageddon. Unfairly too. This is superior. Four Hobbits. Not quite sure about his rating system. Well, but it's, four, with it. it's four um, of them. Basically, four he's just surmised what we said, what oh, we've taken 40 minutes to say. He surmised in 128 characters. So well done, Dave Marples. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. for. Uh, yeah, we should, you should have done that earlier. <laughs> but I said awesome time but thank you Dave that's awesome um, Jake and Michael tell us where we can find your book and your podcast and we'll say goodbye to all the listeners well you can find uh, the podcast on all good podcatchers uh, where we're Ghibliotech that's G-H-I-B-L-I-T-H-O-Q-U-E it's a tough spelling uh, but that's also the name of our book which is going to be out in September isn't it Michael? it is September the 2nd wherever you order your books it's kind of wild to see my name attached to a book being sold from Blackwells, having spent a lot of time in the Manchester branch of Blackwells growing up. <laughs> Are you from Manchester, Michael? I, I am from Manchester. I grew up in Salford, Kobe. We've had this before. You accused me of not being Mancunian enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it rings a bell. Yeah, Salford's not mine. But neither is, neither is where I'm from, but I still say Manchester. 
uh, it's just a lot easier. <laughs> it's easier Soph for is, the... Soph is its own city. Um, I know. If my dad had heard me saying that, he'd uh, he'd be writing in. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you can find us on Twitter as well. Ghibliotech is at Ghibliotech, using the spelling that Jake just said. And I'm Michael J. Leader. Thanks so much for coming on. Cheers, Bye. guys. A pleasure. Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood audio tell them flicks what sent you you just heard a stripped media production <laughs>